They say when the student is ready, the teacher will come. And there's no greater truth to that statement than the story of how I came to meet my guest today. A highly sought after spiritual teacher, international speaker, guide and activist who comes from a long lineage of natural healers and wisdom keepers. For more than 30 years, she's been guiding those who are ready to walk their pathway towards a deeper wisdom. Interweaving her Gaelic tradition with Northern European shamanic wisdom and a variety of global indigenous knowledge systems, which she's been immersed in, guided by and inspired by. My guest, and I'm lucky to say my spiritual teacher, shares stories, guided inner journeys, prayers and gifts with others through her Wild Wisdom online membership, through annual retreats in our beloved Ireland and soon to launch on Wild Wisdom TV. We first met in June 2021. So on the day that this podcast goes out, it will be exactly two years to that day, which is part of the reason why I asked for this interview today. We met in the Emotion Club on Clubhouse, the first room I ever entered and the first time I encountered Michelle McEwen. Thank you so much for being here today, Michelle. I am really privileged to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Christine. It's so good to be here. So the podcast is about the nature and nurture of communication. And I explore it from the perspective of the brain, how we think about and perceive communication across cultures, across languages. And the series is about communication through the ages, thinking about how communication mannerisms, beliefs and behaviours have changed over the years, over your lifetime, over your career, and also as a result of globalisation, of technology changes, which we began touching on before I pressed record and I <laughs> I paused us for, for just a moment before we did that. So if I could maybe take you back a little bit, I know that your career has spanned many different areas and I believe you were in music production or something along those lines at one point. Is that right? Yes. As a young woman, um, while I was at university um, and then after when I completed university, I was involved in the music industry. My first husband was a singer-songwriter and, of course, like I just love writing poetical, you know, lyrical, as you know, uh, pieces. Uh, so I was really involved uh, just from that perspective, um, writing, you know, being part of what was developing with the bands and um, all that, yeah, all that stuff. It was a long time ago in the in the 1970s and early 80s. So it was a, like a wild ride at that age. It was uh, very, you know, it was uh, exciting. It was stressful. It was everything. And and the way the music industry was in Australia in those days, it was really, you know, like this whole country, uh, the last Wild West in many ways. And so it was quite an experience, um, including those very early days in the in the 80s, um, the early, late 70s, early 80s, when we started recording with computers. Okay. And that's a whole other story, but we can come to that if you, if you like. I don't want to lead you in any particular direction. If that's where we go, we go. The early 80s is when I was born. So... To start there <laughs> works perfectly. And I don't mean to, well, you know how, how old I am. Well, you know, the thing that, while, well, while we're on the topic, you know, that the computer took up three walls of the room. It was like huge. Wow. The, oh, the, you know, the, in, the internet computer setup, the, the digital setup took up three walls of the room and we recorded, um, I think five songs and it with, you know, like it was all a miracle the way it happened. And um, now look at us, you know, with these little tiny computers and plug a mic in, link up to Zoom and off we go. Yeah. It's a different world. Uh, you know, look, of course, 
if you think about, oh, the kookaburras are going to join in. <laughs> so the kookaburras, for anyone who's listening who hasn't isn't too familiar with Australia, is a beautiful little fluffy, plump bird that's blue and grey and a bit of white, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and they've got orange and black striped tails tipped in white. They're very amazing looking creatures. They're they're like a an Australian kingfisher, you know, with a big fat beak. Mm-hmm. Um, and they live in, in family groups and this is the time of morning where they're waking up. It's the same talking about communication. The magpies um, here are different to European magpies and they've got a beautiful song. They start at the crack of the first bit of light and then maybe 10 minutes later the cookers start and then they come back for another round as as daylight's really coming in so you really know if it's first light and now it's proper light coming you by those birds talking to us and if you really want to go back in time that would be how our ancestors operated in as part of a whole community um, of communication that gave them all the right signals they they didn't need a watch they just looked at the sky listened to the birds and you know observed and were part of of the whole but going back to to those early years even going back further um you know we didn't have mobile phones back then i was reflecting on this the other day and how incredible when i was a teenager it was still the call boxes your parents had a phone at home everybody i know was always in trouble for being on the phone to their friends you know the um the old landline plugged in and um, we used to go to the phone boxes to get out of the house and have a walk, you know, maybe five blocks to where there might be a public phone, in a, you know, like a little phone box. You could go inside and um, roll your 20-cent coin around in super glue, drop it in, and it would hold the thing open and because you used to have to keep dropping coins in back in those days. <laughs> so we had these little tricks um, of the tricks, the teenage trade of getting around that. And, uh, yeah, but it was a different world. It was, you know, we thought it was fast. Our parents thought it was fast. But looking back now, it was much more it was slow, slow communication. People still wrote letters. Uh, people, um, you know, to, to make an international call was a really big deal and really expensive. Um, so, you know, you hear people talking these days about slow food, slow cooking. We had slow communication back then. And I think it was probably more heartfelt one of the things that I'm so aware of, just coming fast forwarding to the age of texting and even email, sometimes I find it takes me ages to write an email. I force myself now to be quick at it, but it's so easy to misinterpret an email or a text. You just think you're just responding and you're being quick, and the person reads it like, oh. It's that was really harsh, and you don't you. There was no harshness at all, but of course, that fast, fast communicating, we lose the transmission of compassion, empathy. You know those things get lost in translation. And now I sometimes think, oh no, I'm going to, I, I have to have a call so they can hear my voice. Beautiful, bringing back in that connection. And, and communication through the vocal instrument that we many of us have been gifted with. I can't say us all. Uh, you, you bring up a great memory for me there when you talked about the phone booths and the phone boxes. I had six, have six siblings. So there were six of us in the house when we were growing up. And we had a payphone at one point because that's too many young people to have in a house where the Gosh. phone bills are being brought in. But we didn't quite use super glue, but we did manage to figure out how to open the phone from the back. So when we paid, we just opened the phone. And one month, mum went to to take the money out to pay the bill. And of course, we heard the screams down the fields. Oh, I <laughs> and can we imagine. Knew it was time. But I'd love to, if we can, 
go back to what nature just gave us the opportunity to talk about and what I think is a great part of what you do as a guide and a spiritual teacher, and that is communicate and connect us with our roots, with our ancient traditions and and the original form of communication. So you mentioned how many years ago the birds would have been used to let us know that it's morning time. In fact, that's what I use. I don't have a watch. The birds tell me when it's morning time here. But could we talk about that a little bit, going back to what you would say would have been the origins of communication, maybe, that are in your wisdom? Yes. And the beautiful thing for us, Christine, is that there are records of some of the early um, poet poetry, prayers, blessings, and I, I use those a lot in in the things that I create or I, I recreate a lot of them, you know, like because really the shamanic way, so we're talking about communication, is, you know, there are no rules. So uh, we're free to adapt so that things remain relevant, old wisdom and old knowledge remains relevant because we, we don't have to learn it and repeat it the way it was spoken 500 or 1,000 years ago. And even though a lot of our communications that were written down were by that time in the uh, 1800s were um, very Christianized, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it changed it into a certain ilk, and then it was written down and it became fixed. But I think, well, I've I've seen people even in the in the Christian tradition change those those words to be more contemporary, and I certainly do that. Or you know, like I just love the turn of phrase, um, the way things were spoken. It was so poetical, so beautiful, and and open. Um, and I often use that turn of phrase in my blessings and prayers and ways that I communicate. But the beauty. Um, and and the reason it survived through the ages was just that there were no rules, so we could adapt. And what that also meant was that we imbibed our own particular wisdom and knowledge from our generations that we were living through. So it 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 make it remains relevant no matter what in the phrasing, but also in the sort of things that we're concerned with. And, of course, some things are steady. Like we've always, you know, and I notice the most popular things in my social media that I post, um, it's the same. It's all about protection, new beginnings, self-love, you know, things that are timeless um, that we have to deal with as humans. And, and, And to me that's fascinating. When we go back in time and we look at, and you can see in those uh, written texts the ancient parts of what was written down and what was more relevant to then 1820 or whenever it was. But you can see embedded in it what was relevant 100 years before that, 500 years before that. And it's all about being part of life, being steady, being protected by the unseen forces around us. Uh, the nature, the nature spirits, the elements. Um, you know, you often hear the sacred three in the Scottish and Irish uh, traditions, the sacred three, land, sea and sky. And that tells us a lot. So those kind of communications that have stayed with us and then people like myself take up and share, it's bringing this quality into life even if people aren't fully aware of it, of the foundation of the ancestors. And really importantly, in this day and age, the connection to the natural world, which is what we're, you know, largely alienating ourselves from. And even you hear a lot, this is something, I know I'm going back and forth between the old and the new, but it's really relevant. So these days you hear people talking about, oh, I must 
go out and connect to nature. I must get connected to nature. It's really healthy. And this is true. But while we, what's really unhealthy about that is that that language is really disconnecting because we are nature, not separate. So to say I've got to get connected to nature, we've already disconnected, but we are nature. So it's about going out and participating with the rest of nature, joining with our kin. And I'm a great fan of Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote, um, she's written beautiful books about moss, braiding sweetgrass might be her a very well-known book by her. Um, and she's a, a Potawatomi, I think. I'm terrible if I've mispronounced that, but I think that's her Native American tradition. And um, she talks about finding a different word rather than it to describe nature, the rest of nature, like we humans and then there's them, it, they. And she she has a word in her language that sort of means like kin and kinship. But I think in the old ways, the old way of phrasing of being present, of interacting in our, you know, in our holy words, um, we did acknowledge nature as kin rather than it, which is cold and it isolates us. We isolate ourselves from the rest, from the whole. And the fact of the matter is we are part of the whole earth system. And language is, I think, a, a really primary way back to finding ourselves as part of the whole earth system again. Absolutely. There's so much in that that's resonating with me. Uh, when you talk about language and the use even of the pronoun, there's a lot of talk at the moment about pronouns, not just related with nature, but with the, the person as well. The word that comes up for me is labels and the labeling. I am uh, a this, I am a that. Uh, I find it really difficult. I mean, I can't judge it because it's a huge movement. It's creating terrible strife um, in the teenage and even pre-teenage world um, where kids who are troubled start identifying and then there's especially in certain countries, which we won't mention, where it's taken extremely seriously, like really seriously and um, I, I have spoken to a lot of parents who are really impacted by this and, and have terrible stories. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I can't judge it. For me, I won't buy into it. I'm who I am. I'm not he, she, uh, whatever, they, them, anything. I'm me. And to start identifying like that, I think, is um, it can be very divisive. Um it's, I mean, but a lot of people I really respect are doing it. And I just think, well, it has meaning for them, but it doesn't have any meaning for me at all. For me, what you did there was take it to yourself. And that, where I come from, from a communication perspective, from a connected communication perspective, is exactly that place where we each have our own perception of the world and our own perceptions of ourselves. Nobody gets to tell us whether our perception of ourselves is right or wrong. It's ours. It's the same with opinion. And what you said was that that's not who you are. So I'd like to ask you this, if you don't mind, because this is something I've been pondering. The who and the what. I find it very difficult to say that there is a who. And I know this might be a little curveball going from communication through the ages, but it's been written about and talked about for millennia, as far as I understand from any research I've done. When someone is asked, who are you? The tendency is to answer with a characteristic, which is the answer to a what. So as my, my guide and my spiritual teacher, maybe I'm taking a, a personal moment here to probe you on this. But what is your take on 
the who and the meaning of who? Yeah, that's a that's a really it's an interesting question because um, what do they? It's it can be very subjective, you know, when you think about it, because it depends on individuals' interpretations of that. But what springs to mind, and it might not be answering the question, but when I, as you know, I work with wildlife, I res, do wildlife rescue and rehabilitation. We've got a centre here and we specialise actually with macropods, mostly wallabies. And that's that that point I was making before about it, referring to it, that, you know, for me, though, I always think of when I write about the animals or speak about them, it's who, they, them, you know, they're not it. They're on the, they're just like me. Um, and I relate to them like that. They are my kin. In fact, I, you know, often prefer their company to humans. <laughs> Some. Um, so, yes, yeah, so who am I? Um, is that who am I? I, you know, like I'm, um, I'm not quite sure how to answer the question, to be quite honest. Who who I am is I'm a, I am a creative expression. Um, my life is a creative expression. I live my life as a journey, as you know. And so that means I'm completely expressing, I'm interweaving my inner world and outer world as much as humanly possible. Some days you get pulled out of one or forced into another, but but my goal is always to have them harmonised and then my life is an expression of, of those two things coming together and that's when life is a journey. And who I am is an expression of living life that way. My truth, um, I don't, I find it very hard to, can find myself in a definition of, you know, which is what your bios, you know, when people ask for your bio, they want you to say, this is who I am. I'm a shaman. I'm a spiritual guide. I'm a writer. I'm a teacher. I'm a an activist, you know. And if you start thinking about who I am, the list gets really long. For some people, they might be, I'm a doctor. Um, I'm a healer. I'm a you know, I'm many things. And um, it's really interesting. I might be going off track, so feel free to butt in. But, you know, one of the earliest um, remembered poems from Ireland is I am. I am the wind that blows across the sea. I am a wave of the deep, right? Armageddon when he first lands on the shores of Ireland, the first, you know, the Celt, the first Celts that came to Ireland um, from Europe. And so I think I am everything. I am in everything. There is nothing in which I am not is really how I feel about that question, Christine. Mm. Okay, I'm going to take that and ponder with it. I, I love the idea of creative expression and I'll loop back, if I may, to what you said about being a creative expression and that you weave your inner and outer worlds until they are harmonized. So for me, what I thought about there was communication, the inner and the outer self, communicating with the self, communicating with the outer world, with what's around us and finding harmony and balance in both. So how do you find that harmony and balance in this world that is in many ways often so imbalanced? Well, that's the practice, isn't it? And I think um, the spiritual pathway is a practice is a pathway of practice and a pathway of service. And first and foremost, we're in service to ourselves. And eventually, we get to the point where the practice is part of our daily life. And if you think about the fact that we speak sixty to eighty thousand words a day to ourselves becomes really interesting, this question, you know, to reflect upon that we, um, first of all, need to engage in positive self-talk. And, 
you know, 60 to 80,000 words a day, if we're very negative about ourselves, that's what we will create, speaking those words to ourselves, thinking those words. So for me, I, I definitely try and pick myself up if I'm saying negative things to myself. Oh, I'm not sure if I should be doing this. Maybe it won't work. You know, like stop, press pause, take a breath, and let's start that again, that process. and and reframe and it's a really good practice because it does work if you just keep catching yourself saying negative things to yourself i did a fast a negative self-talk fast recently um, 21 days where i had to catch myself every time i had a negative thought or i said negative things about myself i had to go oh press pause reframe and it's incredible what a difference it makes. Wow, uh, that, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm thinking about Lent now. You could go off being negative about to yourself for Lent. Oh. No, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. No negative thoughts. Thank you very much. That's no great. Negative. Yeah, and I think um, so. So this interweaving or harmonising is a fantastic practice. And as with any practice, I think that eventually without thinking about it, we get to the stage where it's just, we're just doing it. We're not thinking, oh, I must do my practice or this is my practice. It becomes part of your, just your lived experience, the way you are every day. Um, so it's in the end, it's not a separate thing, you know, like, oh, it's time for me to meditate. I've been meditating my way through the whole day or journeying my way through the whole day while I'm cooking. It's like a moving meditation, stirring the pot, chopping, you know, putting in the spices, smelling, inhaling the fragrances. Um, life can be, a, you know, whether you want to meditate or do the inner journey, um, be a visionary, it's, it's, it's all there for us. It's all in the attitude. And for me, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very conscious of my inner, world and harmonizing and the the easiest way for me to to get back to ground zero is to go outside i'm surrounded by incredible nature and i can look out the window but it's all there around me but just to step out and breathe in the smells and hear the sounds and commune with the soundscape of where i live my ecosystem just going about daily life, that, that sound, that kind of communication, that does it straight away, the inner and the outer world, just like a, you know, like DNA <laughs> go together. Um, and, and you're creating a certain energy then, not just for you, but for the environment around you, you're harmonising. And, and I can go outside and... Uh, Animals that, uh, like the frogs here, you know, usually when you go past the frog pond, they all stop. We've got dams and we've got, uh, especially at this time of year, things that aren't water, water that isn't here in summer, but it all gets filled up because there's thousands of frogs here and they you hear them going chorusing. There's this layer and then a bit further down that layer and, and, and on and on and on down into the valley and, just incredible. But when we walk through um, a neighbor's property or somewhere else, you come upon the dam and the frogs all suddenly fewer and fewer voices. And then the last big voice, just as you're about to get there, shuts down. But here they keep going because they know our footsteps and our voices and the koalas, the the wallabies, you know, they sit up and pay attention they might, uh, the, the koalas just waltz past. Um, the wallabies and kangaroos might move off, but they stand still and listen and they know it's you and they don't go far. They don't go like bounding far away. They know that we're part of the ecosystem. Um, and, and to have that kind of awareness of how everything, you know, and I love the word commune because it takes us a step away from the brain trying to rationalize how do you communicate with the ecosystem i commune with it mm. and that's well, commune it's it's inside the word 
Um, exactly. we, we bring the two together, yeah, to, to blend exactly. and to, to connect. And then you're, yeah, and then you're, you're communing. So that's really an inner world coming into the outer world and receiving back. So, so the practice of communing, I think, is is a really important part of that interweaving. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I agree with you completely there. And again, amazing you talk about the frogs. Everybody knows about the dawn chorus. One of my favourite things is the dusk chorus. But I never knew that there was a night chorus. And where I live in Spain, just below my window, I'm blessed to have the sea on the right and the mountains on the left, but a green space down in between with two big ponds, which at night comes alive with the frogs. <laughs> it's fascinated me. Yeah, because I've never had that at home. So if let's loop back for a couple of minutes, if we can, because I can see a wall of a, a, a music uh, recording equipment since you said it. And it keeps flashing back at three walls <laughs> that keeps flashing back into my head. I'm picturing being in a, a radio studio when I was a child and being surrounded by recording equipment, helping my dad with an ad. Right. But that was that was the 90s. So you you were recording in the early 80s on the first when the f- computers first were brought to the masses, released by the army. Yeah, we uh, got invited to this place, to this someone's house slash studio, and in we went, and it was incredible. Yeah, it was when you think, and when you think about it, that whole, those three walls full of that sort of funky technology. You know, if you think about what stereos used to be like with the great big giant speakers and boxes and bass boxes and, you know, all of that. It's just that world. Yeah, I'm thinking now maybe of people in their 20s or 30s who would be listening to this. What what could we describe for them that might allow them to picture it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like to go to museums. Of, it's really, it's, you know, it's really hard to describe if you haven't, seen a picture of it but um you know like tons of buttons and lights and like black boxes and all piled up um it was yeah it was sort of like science fiction at the time and it probably would look like science fiction now if you saw it you know yeah right and it's it's all very predictive, you know, that you could see where if in hindsight where it was going and then it would become minimised and minimised and minimised smaller and smaller and smaller. If you look back at Star Trek, you know, the... the what they were able to predict. Series, right? Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of stuff in, the, in it that was predictive where we were headed, but the, the clunkiness of it compared to, you know, now... Mm, how less clunky it is and still frustrating. So if you think about that, then that first move into new recording equipment where it was available in the home or in small studios, that began to shape a new form of communication. So what would you say you have noticed has been the biggest impact or biggest change in communication since then? Yeah, well, first of all, the the mobile phone, which was like a brick back in those days. And there was a significant change in the, so first of all, the mobile phone um, and the very early computers, which I remember in the 80s, they obviously they were available. They were around before, but for me, I came in contact with um, computers. Uh, they were like had green screens, and they were little square things with that went right back. They were huge in behind the screen, and um, the typing on them, I think, was even the lettering was green. It was. It was, uh, and and I, and you know, working with the different fonts, I remember that that you there were choices of fonts even back then, which made 
the words, you know, seemingly different, especially then with such little um, communication. Uh, Sorry, I got distracted. I didn't turn my email off. Um, Because there wasn't all the options we've got now with our computer, being able to use a different font, which some systems allowed, not every, but um, I can't remember when the choice of fonts came. It was the early 80s. So you could choose a, a font that suited you, that appealed to you, and that would give a creative expression to your words. Now it's like, you know, fonts are a really big deal and getting it right for your branding and all of that. And back then it was like suddenly there was a choice of how your words looked and that was that gave it a, you know, there was a bit of personality coming in. So, yeah, those clunky machines, the clunky heavy phone, which I never had. I didn't have a mobile phone until the 1990s and uh, I didn't even have a fax until the 1990s. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that changed everything was um, in the 90s, texting. When texting started um, on those, you know, because the phone had to change to have the little screen where you could see the words and you pay, you had to pay, maybe it was 20 cents a text. So it was much cheaper than making a phone call because there were no plans back then. You paid by the call and then by the text. So it might have been a dollar for a phone call. It was 20 cents for a text or whatever. I can't remember. But um, that changed communication because, you know, you only got a certain amount of words you could put in a text. So to become this brief message, which as we can see now, the brevity in our messaging And that's what, going back to what I said earlier, I find it really awkward texting. People take it the wrong, take messages the wrong way when you text or even email because people have made their emails become briefer and briefer. Everything's become fast and short. Words are abbreviated to fit more in. Um, And we've really changed the way that we communicate. And I think obviously texting, that was the writing on the wall with that, computer that took up three walls literally the writing was on the wall but you know it was still um a decade before or more before texting started Hmm. so what you're i I understand from what you're saying there is that technology really has shaped a different form of communication and in in fact maybe remolded how we communicate, going from what you said earlier on about writing when we used to write to each other. And I I actually interviewed my youngest brother last week for the podcast and he mentioned writing postcards when you go on holidays, things like that, to then... I used to collect all the postcards people sent me. Yeah, yeah. So we're thinking about the tone in a postcard Mm. and the tone in a text message. The... The length is actually not really that much different. You couldn't write a huge, well, unless you wrote very, very small, like a a prison note on your postcard, which I did do sometimes. But generally, a postcard had three or four sentences about what you were doing on a holiday and, and it was posted. So what I'm getting at here is, what do you think is the difference between how a postcard was received and the perception of the communication in it, and text messages. Oh, there were. It's like another planet. It's like another planet. I mean, the postcard arrives with your post, and back in the day, you'd look forward to the post arriving because you don't know what. It, it, it's a mystery. Now the post just brings bills. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if the company hasn't switched to sending electronic which a lot of things, uh, let me turn that off, a lot of things, um, uh, hang on, where am I back? Yes. So a lot of things um, are just, well, not a lot, not every bill is electronic yet, but we do get, you do get a lot of invoices over the email. Uh, But yeah, the post is like now, it's like, oh, and I sometimes 
post boxes down the bottom of the drive, I can't be bothered stopping on the way in because oh, it's, there'll just be a bill there. I'll get it tomorrow. Whereas once upon a time it was like you knew auntie so-and-so was over in Spain and, you know, there might be a communication or you'd written a letter to a loved one and, you know, four weeks ago and it should have reached them and maybe they've written back, you know, that sort of thing. You never know what delight might be waiting for you um, in the post. And, I mean, these days we get everyone buying on the internet and they're waiting for their parcels to arrive, but it's not even a surprise that it's arrived because you get all the updates from the courier saying, your parcel will arrive on this day. Nearly there, your parcel's being processed at such and such. You know, like it's all of these true. communications yeah. budding into your day, like, you know, like I ordered something and then I'm getting updates from te- from the Australia Post about where it is in transmission um, and it just totally butts into my day. Once I wouldn't have been thinking about that stuff, Right. Um, the surprise was when you go to the mailbox and, oh, look at this postcard. I didn't even know they'd gone away. And the postcard holds something of the energy of, you know, what that person's experiencing. You get the picture. They've chosen that particular card to send to you and then they've written on the back and it might just be I'm having an amazing time in Spain the beaches are glorious and you're transported in those few words because they're from the heart someone's taken the time they've bought the postcard they might have bought five postcards for five friends or loved ones and they've sat down and they've written and remember spiritually that the hands do the work of the heart in the physical world so that writing that's coming from the heart and it's going in and we feel that energy language the written language and the spoken language is so potent um and so that's what we get in a postcard in a text it's like i arrived at you know landed at la just so they're letting you know they've landed at LA and they're fine and that's it's just like and it comes in on your phone, it flashes up, it completely interrupts the thought process that, you know, like texts are so invasive unless you turn on, like I often put silent mode on got an, um, an iPhone and that means it doesn't just show it on my display so I have to open the phone to see, oh, I've got six messages or whatever and if I forget to do that like like I forgot to turn my email off and it's suddenly flashing up emails are coming in you know like that constantly taking me out of my own space that I'm in and what I'm doing yeah and that is really what's resonating with me here and we've been talking for quite some time now so I think it might be a brilliant way to bring this to a a a nice rounded Maybe not end because I hope I'll have you back on again and we'll we'll talk further. Yes, I'll definitely be back. There's a new website coming. There'll be books being published. There'll be lots and, and I'll, I, I'll be doing Audible. There'll be lots of great things to talk about down the track. Oh, super, super. Well, what, what really resonated with me with what you said there when we talked about the postcards and we talked about the text messages was that the difference is anticipation versus interruption. Communication in the past, we, we, we desired it, we anticipated it, we created it from inside us and shared it through our hands, through our voices, from the heart, where now it has become something almost of a burden that we have yeah, to manage and load. Even robotic, even, you know, like it's great to get a text, hi, thinking of you, love you, uh, you know, that's great. But a lot of it is interruption and 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 not necessary to, to receive it immediately. Like everything suddenly becomes immediate. It puts you on red alert. It's no wonder people's stress levels are going through the roof because we've got all this like connection going on that isn't necessary. Mm, mm. So the connection that's going on that isn't necessary, that there's maybe disconnection, there's interruption. What would be one nugget from your wild wisdom 
that you could leave listeners with to help themselves reconnect and interweave? Yeah, I think um, listening to the voice of the heart, that inner voice, and trusting it and following it. So if if your intuition or the voice of your heart says to you today, today is not a day to pay attention to my phone, but you might need the phone near you, just put it on quiet, whatever ability you have so that you don't see the messages flashing up so that you're not aware that, you know, all these texts are coming in and you might, a lot of people would find that challenging, but you could say, okay, for the next three hours and at midday I will do, I'm going to check my texts and just put it away and get on with your day and allow yourself to be creative. And part of that is to step outside, look up at the sky, sit under a tree for a few minutes, commune with the ecosystem around you and receive your own messages for your own well-being. Um, and it, it it just improves on every level. And when you need to communicate something important, maybe write it as a draft and don't press send because people do that all the time. They just blurt out stuff and then press send and it can be received and really upset the person and, and upset their day, whereas write it down, sit with it, come back to it later and decide, A, should I text this or should I email it or maybe I just needed to get that off my chest and it was just for me. You know, like don't, like the texting is so fast, like you just do it and you press send and it can really have a a negative impact. And, and. Yeah, be kind in your communications. And one last thing I'll say is, you know, we started talking about the old ways and the old ways of communicating with the spoken word. And when we speak things out, it's spoke, we're creating. And in those, call them wisdom codes, prayers, blessings, phrasing, what saying, you know, like the saying of, oh, you know, Godspeed or little things we'd say that would communicate so much, they are wisdom codes and they've been passed down to us and we need to make sure that we're creating wisdom codes now that we can continue to pass on. So I think um, uh, don't be too fast and furious with the texting. Have a journal, write things down and, and really make those communications meaningful even if they're only a few words. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I love speaking to you. And I'll tell listeners before we go, I didn't tell the rest of the story at the beginning, but the reason I felt today was so important for us to, well, not just today for us to record, but for the podcast to go out on the 20th of June, two years after we met, when I was leaving a very difficult time in my life. And we had our first phone call as I stood on the ground in Poland and looked up. And I remember interrupting you and feeling very bad that I interrupted you, but saying, I'm so, so sorry that I've interrupted you. There's an eagle flying above my head and how it was such a powerful totem. But each month of our wild wisdom practice after that, from the moment I joined at the beginning of that journey, right up to now, through our retreat last year in Ireland, through every engagement we have had, every conversation, every moment I have been able to be in your presence and the presence of our beautiful group has been so meaningful to me. And you have had such a profound impact on my life. I am so grateful to you for being there when I was ready as my teacher, for being here now and for what you will continue to be as we move forward in the practice. Thank you. Thank you for saying those lovely things. And I I love that it's the anniversary and I love how we met. And and it's lovely too because it's winter solstice here, which is my favourite. Yes. Summer solstice for you. Summer solstice for me, yes. And three months... Mm-hmm. Yeah, three months since the podcast launched as well because I launched at Equinox. Isn't that great. Yeah. What a great thing you're doing. I love it. 
Absolutely love it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll have to, along by you. I appreciate you so much. And, and as I, I say, <laughs> I, I close the podcast with uh, reminding everyone if they've liked it or enjoyed it to please share it with friends, to follow the, the podcast, to subscribe to the podcast. And thank you for listening to our, our listeners, to anyone who has come in from Michelle's audience who has listened. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll stay and come back and please also connect with me and tell me what you think. And the final words I usually say are Banakti Agus Puikas, which I know will also be meaningful to you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Christine. Michelle has asked me to come back on offering a gift. Because today marks such an important occasion for us both. Two years since we met and I began my wild wisdom journey. The day before solstice 2023. And three months since the launch of the Connected Communication podcast. Now at 5% in the global rankings because of you listeners. Thank you. We decided to give you an opportunity to taste wild wisdom. All you have to do to be in with a chance to win is follow or subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. Depending on the platform you use, it might be a subscribe button, follow button, hit the bell, press the star or click review and write a little comment. Find me at my social media channels from the show notes below and send me a DM with the picture of your screenshot or with your screenshot. Once we've collected all the screenshots, by midnight, Tonight, on the day the podcast launches, the 20th of June 2023, we will put them into a draw to win a trial of the new Wild Wisdom membership if it's launched by then. Michelle's on the finishing touches of it at the moment. And if it's not ready and not launched, you will win access to one of the Wild Wisdom membership calls to get up close and personal to Michelle and the group. Learn about how the spiritual pathway of wild wisdom works. Experience and explore it for yourself. So, before midnight tonight, follow, subscribe, star and rate the podcast. Send me a DM with your screenshot and we will enter you into the draw. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts, comments and seeing your screenshots and maybe meeting you on a wild wisdom call sometime in the future. Until then, do come back and listen to the podcast. Share it with your friends who you think might enjoy it or be interested in it. I'm grateful for your space and for your energy. Banakti, August Boyakas. Mm-hmm.